It's now 19 minutes to 11 and it's time for our weekly catch-up with one of the Media Watch team. And Colin Peacock joins me from the Wellington studio. Kia ora, Colin. Kia ora, Karen. Patrick Gower and Weed. Do those two things go together? Uh, well, they did tonight on TV3 about, uh, what, two hours ago. Um, in fact, we should call it Midweed. Media Watch, shouldn't we, for, <laughs> for the week? But I mean, it's hard to avoid this actually without doing puns. In fact, there's a review of it also on the spin off website by um, Chloe Swarbrick, Green MP and advocate for changing the law. Um, she reviewed it and found the same thing. She used the word blunt and then had to put in brackets, you know, oh dear, I see what I did there. Um, so hard to avoid all the puns. But the uh, the idea of it is good. I'm going to annoy you slightly by withholding my judgment on it a bit. It's a two part program. And part two next week, he says, is going to deal with the cost to society. Part one dealt with uh, medicinal marijuana. And, I mean, the program's a good idea because we're going to be voting on this next year come election time on changing the law. So this part one gave you a sense of what a medicinal cannabis industry here in New Zealand might look like, compared it a bit to overseas. But... um, I guess the problem was that he talked to uh, a lot of advocates, uh, people who were kind of satisfied users have found it, it, it eased their condition. But it didn't really give you a sense of how many conditions it was really effective for and for how long. And for example, there was a company called Helios up in Auckland. One of the founders of the company said, look, I myself had back pain for seven or eight years. I was on tramadol, and I, I want people to be able to displace this by taking medicinal cannabis. Now, does that really work? I, I don't know. And I felt like I would have liked a bit more detail if they're going to go into individual people's stories and their conditions. But yeah, as I say, next week he says we'll look at the cost to society and maybe we'll find out a little more um, news we can use you know, because we'll be voting next year. Well, the cost to society for the documentary itself was quite high. Uh, yeah, uh, $287,000 from New Zealand on air, which is why it's important that it, it does work. I mean, he said, Patrick Gower, in the very extensive publicity about this, he wants to change the debate. And he said, we're going to get out there and show Kiwis the good and the bad when it comes to legalising weed. Well, well so far, um, they've shown you a sense of, of the good on the medicinal side. I think there's quite a lot to get through for it to be an effective thing. Um, after the second part. But, I mean, it was entirely watchable. Uh, I learned a few things, you know, about fibromyalgia and things like that that, that I certainly didn't know um, and, and the treatments that could apply there. So, yeah, there was there was certainly information in it and uh, it was an easy watch. And Patrick Gower's pretty good in it. Um, in fact, though, uh, one telling part in all the publicity that I mentioned that they do, they really promoted this heavily. Um, Patrick Gower called out uh, Paul Henry, for not taking part in the program. I'm hoping there's one person in the world, actually, that is somehow able to get it by streaming or whatever, and that's Paul Henry. You'll be wondering why that is, because yeah. uh, he actually turned down doing the documentary. It was meant to be Paul Henry on weed. Right. <laughs> um, I got his, uh, his seconds, yeah. um, so I'm hoping to show him up. Hmm. Well, which do you prefer, Colin? Well, I think uh, I, I think I my, the... my, not not Paul Henry, too much of a divisive character. Um, but yeah, clearly he wasn't interested. So um, <laughs> Patrick Gow got in instead, and, and good that it should go to an actual reporter, you know, because this is a journalistic project and should be approached as such. In a Woman's Day interview, in another part of this epic publicity drive promoting it, uh, he said uh, Patrick Gow described it as reality documentary. But I mean, the fact that they were after. Paul Henry shows they clearly wanted a um, or celebrity power is kind of baked into the concept 
for making this program. And well, can, I, can I just ask you about the cost? What do you think about the cost for nearly $300,000 worth of public money? Was it worth it in terms of how they shot it and what they found out? Well, TV's expensive, and I would. So, yeah, they've also they travelled to California, Canada. There's overseas travel uh, involved in this. I think it was the company Ruckus who do, uh, I think do a lot of the Nigel Latter sort of factual programs. So, you know, they've got a track record in this sort of thing. Uh, factual programs often not as expensive as the drama ones, but this one was quite highly produced. So, yeah, it's a, it's a significant sum of money. But what I'd like to see though is. If if there was, um, for example, they did a Facebook debate, Patrick Gowan, his boss, you know, argued about but beforehand to kind of preview it. But if he really wants to change the debate, it would be great if there was maybe after, seeing as it's a public issue, after part two's gone out, actually have one, a TV studio debate with some of these people, some of the, the lawmakers, the advocates, whatever. And that way, you know, some of the things that are said in the program that could be contestable or that we need a bit more detail on could be fleshed out. Or otherwise, you know, an online resource where um, you could get more information about this. I mean, I think Patrick was doing an interview with Jesse Mulligan on RNZ earlier in the week and, um, uh, you know, he said, look, I've learned a lot. I now know a hell of a lot about, about weed. Well, it would be good if it could be uh, accessible somewhere, seeing as this is an ongoing issue, which will go right up to the election uh, and not just the two programs, which, um, you know, once they've aired, will disappear, albeit that I guess they'll be on demand for people who missed it. Mm, that's a very good idea. And especially when you think about a younger audience, too, who don't even know what a TV is. Yeah, well, this is part of what I find interesting about this, because I think this could be a bit of a template for factual programs. There are hardly any on TV3 now because, or on primetime TV at all, because, you know, it's so hard to get an audience for them. So I think this is quite important to three and why they're promoting it so heavily across all their channels and online uh, and everything because you know you've got a, a well-known name in Patrick Gower a, f- a factual issue it's got the public backing um, and I, I think that uh, what did he call it again reality documentary that style and we've seen it overseas too BBC do it with people like um, Reggie Yates you know quite a, a relatable young urban guy from a music background going doing programs in Russia and all sorts of topics. Stacey Dooley, another, um, I think, actress, was her original background, doing uh, um, factual shows that really cut through. Uh, they screen here, I think, on TVNZ's On Demand platform. Um, she did one called Girls, Guns and ISIS, uh, which was amazing, travelling to um, Syria and Jordan and, and meeting um, kids from, of, or people from a bit younger than her. You know, these these programmes, it's, it's a bit of a new style, and if three can make it work and get an audience, so this this where the ratings might really count, I'm sure um, they will pitch more, New Zealand on air will possibly fund more, so next year we might have, you know, Samantha Hayes on Assisted Dying, or you know, Tom McRae on Problem gambling or something like that, and that Interesting might be. Interesting, you pulled those two names out. <laughs> well, I'm just guessing. You know, a TV3 personality doing a factual show. This might be the way we get our documentaries in the future if they can make it pay and, and get the money out of the public purse. Well, that's. I just look at the money and think that's an awful lot of money. Three hundred thousand dollars for a two-part documentary. Yeah, but if you look at the sums that New Zealand on Air gives to, uh, well, it is. You're not wrong, and it's uh, it's factual and it should be spent properly. But uh, when you look at the sums spent on on dramas uh, that. Um, of course, they're more elaborate productions, but uh, they can absolutely dwarf that. I mean, the sorts of sums given out to series of Outrageous Fortune and the spin-offs from that West Side and so on, and the one-offs like, you know, the story of John Alomu that was out um, recently, you know, all those would have much, much bigger budgets. So I don't, 
if it's if it's going to be done well, it's going to go out on prime time and get a big audience. I don't begrudge them that, but. Things like the Infinite Evil Stuff Circuit documentary that we mentioned briefly, I think, last time I was on, that are online only, that the production budgets for that are a fraction. And with the new technology and cameras, they can still do very good, very uh, visually outstanding uh, productions uh, that cost uh, a fraction of that um, because they're not the full TV experience. So I think there is a pressure on them uh, to make this work. You want to talk about Bojo? Oh, a little bit. Yeah, I think this is almost the opposite of that style of documentary. Um, There was uh, Boris Johnson off in uh, Ireland this week made a not very helpful or successful (laughs) visit there. Um, And nothing seems to be going right for him at the moment. But just before that, um, a veteran sort of old school uh, TV program maker, Peter Oborn. He's formerly a political reporter who used to work in newspapers when Boris Johnson uh, was also there at the Telegraph. Um, he has been kind of left behind by current day TV, but he popped up on uh, Joe.ie, which is a kind of Irish version of the spin off, but heavily video dominated. He made a short film uh, about uh, the problems stewing in Ireland over Brexit and the border, about 10 minutes long, and uh, that was hosted on this Joe.ie site. It's really worth a look. I've put links to it on the Midweek Media Watch page, which is on the Media Watch section of the RNZ website. Do go there, click on it, have a look. It won't take long. Um, And in this, it's fascinating. Peter O'Born owns up to having voted for Brexit and says uh, it was all a massive mistake. As a reporter, I covered the Irish peace process and then I voted Brexit just three years ago. Recently, I've been coming to suspect that I made a terrible mistake And we're on our way now from Dublin to Armagh to see what the prospects of a hard border and a no-deal Brexit and the abolition of the backstop means for ordinary people living around here. It's good he, he said that he made a mistake. Yeah, but the problem is, I mean, he must have known this was going to be uh, an issue. Like he said, he reported from Northern Ireland. So it's frustrating to hear these reporters of great experience suddenly realising, oh dear, it's not working out. But um, having owned up to uh, casting his vote the wrong way, uh, he really put the boot in to Boris Johnson and told him this, uh, this Brexit crea- uh, crisis he's creating for Ireland needs to be addressed and basically warned old Bojo to wake up and fast. And this is how he sent his message uh, directly to Boris Johnson. Senator Richmond told me several things I didn't know before I sat down with him. One of them was the staggering fact that Boris Johnson never went to the Irish border when he was British Foreign Secretary, and he's certainly not been there as Prime Minister. I worked with Mr Johnson for many years. I know him extremely well. He's one of the most brilliant brains, political brains, that I've ever encountered. Doesn't he care about the Good Friday Agreement? Is he unaware of the hundreds of years of tragic history which links Britain and Ireland? Would 
they been aware of the hard border, soft border at that time when they made that vote, though, was that? No, no, prob- probably not. But the consequences must have been clear because when he, and the rest of that film, the best bits in it actually are just the people he meets in the street. And one of them turns out to be the sole survivor of uh, the King's Mill Massacre, it's just an old uh, guy he's talking to who only reveals this after about three or four minutes of talking about how if they start putting up border posts again, they'll become a target. And he said, my grandchildren have grown up not worrying about bullet or bomb. Now all this is going to start again. And I think he's right. And there's, um, I don't want to go all sort of Patrick Gower and bring my own family into this like he did in his documentary, but uh, that's actually my family background too. My mother's from Belfast and I have relatives there. And it would be such a shame uh, to see all that unravel and go back to that that border situation. So Peter O'Born did a really good job in that, that little film, talking to ordinary people and showing you what it actually means. And, I mean, at the Boris Johnson at the press conferences, I think uh, just yesterday, with the Irish uh, Taoiseach or uh, Prime Minister, uh, he was asked specifically by the journalists that question, of, have you ever, as Foreign Secretary, because they know he hasn't as Prime Minister, have you ever gone anywhere near the Irish border? And he simply wouldn't answer the question. Um, it's quite bizarre. And... Um, it really does matter uh, to the people that live there. And in fact, that Ulster Unionist Party uh, beefs up his government. But, you know, it's just it must be frustrating for people to now be seeing journalists, uh, you know, turning up and making these uh, statements when the problems were entirely foreseeable. Yeah, absolutely, because when that vote came through, that would have been not one of the last things on their mind, but it would have been a side issue you know, whether that border would come in, back into place. Yeah, definitely. But there's another one on that same Joe.ie site, a former editor of The Sun in Britain, David Yelland. And uh, he he's talking about, oh, it's terrible, the language people use in the media about battles and, and the Second World War stuff and Churchill. And, and Johnson plays into this and his speechwriters drop it all in. This guy... David Young was editing The Sun when I worked in Britain, and they were full of anti-EU stuff, totally ramping that up. And now he's talking about it as if it's this this kind of disgrace that he was absolutely no part of, you know, just going back 20 years. So, yeah, tremendous frustration. I would hate to be in Britain now uh, and having this directly affecting me and hearing these old media types saying uh, these are terrible problems and the people in charge aren't doing enough when they should have known full well and given people more of a heads up. Yeah, hindsight, as they say. (laughs) Colin, thank you very much. No worries. Talk to you again in a couple of weeks. In a couple of weeks. That's Colin Peacock with Midweed Media Watch, as he called it.